Amen. Thank you, George. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 this morning. Um, before we get into the message, though, I want to just share a simple word of testimony uh, regarding this idea of shepherding that Eric has put before us. Uh, we went yesterday to my mom's home. We're still trying to get it in position where we can put it on the market to sell. And Cindy and I were there and Daniel. And... Uh, this lady came by to see us. I don't remember if she bought anything or not. Um, one of my favorite people, Mary Fisher. Cindy was just saying no, but anyway, uh, you know, I think of Mary. She has a speech impediment that I guess she's battled with most all of her life. As I think back to her, I don't remember the church position she held as a church worker. I'm not saying she's not been faithful at church. But what I remember about her is the way she loves people. She can't eat sugar, and so what does she do when she gets that craving that hits you, you know, where you feel like you just have to eat something sweet? She bakes something and takes it to somebody. She can't have it. So you always know she's really craving sugar when you get some cookies or brownies or something. And I remember one time I preached a sermon on temptation and I used brownies and I got several things of brownies from her after that. But, uh, you know, I think back about Mary and she showed up. We tried to do a yard sale yesterday at Mom's house. And she showed up and I just thought, you know, that's Mary. I remember back when Mom died, a year after she died, she called and said, I just wanted you to know, I remember a year ago today, your Mom died and I've been praying for you. You know, I thought about that, and I thought about her, and there she was again. She showed up again, and uh, guys, I know she loves me, and she loves my family. And I believe uh, more than what she does, her gifts, her talents, her abilities, I won't go into all that, but I do know this, she's impacted my life. And it... I, my my eyes are welling up with tears now. Whether you can see her or not, as I think about her, and just pray about an opportunity to be that kind of person in a young person's life, to have that kind of impact, just to love them, just to let them see you. But anyway, let me uh, get in the message here. First Thessalonians four nine through twelve and encourage you when you find that. I'm in that dilemma. I'm at the age where I can keep my glasses on and I can't see the text or I can take my glasses off and barely see you guys. Nothing against you guys, but I'm going to opt for the Bible here. Uh, stand with me when you find the text. Uh, I want to read aloud. First Thessalonians 4, 9-12. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Let's pray. Lord, here we are again. We're hungry, we're thirsty, 
spiritually, Lord, at times we feel empty. God, we're here together, all of us, Lord. And we need You. We need Your Spirit to speak. And God, I'm not foolish enough to think that I can speak unless You impart Your Spirit. And uh, Father, we just invite the Holy Spirit to minister and our hearts to really hear. We can't even hear and understand unless You help us. So, Master, help us. Help us to hear as well as help me to communicate. And Father, may You be glorified. And I help us to, to uh, learn what You want us to learn. Grab a hold of our hearts, God. Impart conviction. Uh, Lord, uh, we want to change in such a way that we are closer to Jesus in our daily walk. And uh, God, just do that this morning, Lord. Uh, that's a miracle. And of course, we ask for you say, uh, ask for miracles. That's what we want. It's a good old miracle. Have your way, Master. In your name we pray. Amen. We have been studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. It talks about a, a young, dynamic church that's been around for about a year when Paul pins this letter. What an amazing church. Paul was there three weeks and then he had to leave, man. There were. There were some people that wanted Paul's hide and he ran for his own safety. And while he was away, he missed these guys. He said, I want to know what God is doing in their lives. I want to know how God's working. And so he, he sent his young apprentice, Timothy, to see how the church was doing. And Timothy came back with a report and Timothy was excited. Man, he came back in the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians. He talks about how they love each other. How their faith is at work. How God is moving through that church. How lives are being changed. And, and you know, it's exciting. It's enough just to fire you up and pump you up. And, and Paul needed that because the mission field was not an easy place to be. You know, it wasn't some romantic place where you just... Oh, it was just so lovely and God. He had some tough stuff to deal with. So this news, it, it was, it was, it was just, man, it was just food to the soul. Then he gets to chapter four and he moves outside of the pew to the public sector. He, Timothy begins to, as he shared with Paul, he gets a hold of Paul's heart and Paul wants to share with that young church regarding their lives once they leave the church. Once they leave the meeting place, you come together, you sing praises, you get pumped up, and you, you know, you're just encouraging one another in the Lord, but then you gotta go back out there into the real mission field, where not everybody is in agreement with you, where not everybody's heart is tuned to worshiping the Lord. So he begins in the first couple of verses of chapter four, and he says, okay guys, about sexual temptation, about your, about that area of your lives, I, I know it's, it's a, Man, it's a powerful impulse, powerful desires. And he said, man, that area of your life needs to be given to the Lord. Your body does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. So take that seriously. And we looked at that last week. This week, he, he, he's looking at another area of our lives. And it's the work sector. Paul, as he, as he comes back, there's a testimony here of, of working for the Lord. There's a testimony here of giving your all as a testimony. 
to God. Someone has said that, uh, you know, once you've been around 70 years, you've probably worked 20 years of it. (laughs) It's a lot of time and a lot of energy. And work is a place to be a witness. We can be a good witness. We can be a bad witness. And Paul's urging here the people of God to be a good witness. The blessing of hard work to, to, to give it all for the Lord there in that place. There was one sign in a, uh, it's an establishment in San Francisco, one of the businesses that said, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, you ought to be here five minutes before closing time. This, this is the kind, this is the kind of thing that Paul says, don't let that happen. Don't sit around like you're dead most of the time and then right before closing run for the clock to check out of there. Be a witness where you are, guys. Somebody sent me this email a couple of years ago. You know, I've shared it a couple of times, but you know, there's always some creative misfit out there uh, in regard to work. Listen to this. He says, for the last couple of years, I seem to be tired all the time. And I've been blaming this on lack of sleep, too much pressure at work. However, I believe I've now found the reason I'm so tired. I'm overworked. The population of this country is 237 million. Of these, 104 million are retired. That leaves 133 million people to do the work. There are 85 million in school, which leaves 48 million to do the work. Of this, there are 29 million employed by the federal government, leaving 19 million to do the work. There are 2.8 million in the armed forces, which leaves 16.2 million to do the work. Take from this the total of 14,800,000 people who work for state and city governments, and that leaves 1.4 million to do the work. At any given time, there are 188,000 people in hospitals, leaving 1,212,000 to do the work. Now, there are 1,211,998 people in prison. That leaves just two people to do the work. And you're sitting at your computer reading this. <laughs> Overworked. As we look at this testimony here, I want to look at three areas here that are crucial to being the witness God wants us to be at work. And as we look at this section of Scripture, uh, the first one here I want to look at is what this guy's acknowledged for. What he's acknowledged for. Uh, Verses 9 and 10. Now about brotherly love. We do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God. To love each other. And in fact. You do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you brothers. To do so. More. And more. What's he saying here? He says I want you to do this more and more. I don't, I don't want you to become stale. I don't want you to go into some kind of spiritual coma. I don't want you just to get by like sitting in a rocking chair. You know, you rock all day, but you don't go anywhere. I want you to be spiritually alive. I want you to be vibrant. I want your love for Christ and for one another to become more and more. I want it to grow. I don't want you to be boxed in and to become apathetic. I want you to be alive. I want you to be alive in the Lord. I want your love to increase. I want it to overflow. I want it to go out of the box and and leak out. I 
I want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Peter said in another place. Also, in the book of Peter, he says, Make every effort to add to your faith. And then he comes up with a list. And then at the end of it, he says, Guys, if you don't make every effort to add these to your faith, you're nearsighted and blind and you have forgotten your faith. There is a call here to to wake up. To come alive in Christ. Not to be asleep. Not to, to fall into some coma. Someone has said, guys... Our call while we're, is not just to be sitting on the premises, but to be standing on the promises. It's not enough to come and to sit in a pew. God's concerned about what happens when we leave this place. And, and that's where the workplace is. Too often we just want to fit in instead of really please God. And that's Paul's urging to these people. He says, guys, once you leave the church place, it's time to live for me in the workplace. Listen to this quote from Chuck Swindoll. He says, Like rats in a sewer pipe, some men's visions limited to the tight radius of can't and won't and couldn't and shouldn't. Periodically, we bump into a few refreshing souls who've decided they're not going to live in the swamp of the status quo or run scared of being different. God save us from the status quo. Man, you don't want to just survive in your faith. I believe you're like me. You want to you want to see God move in your life. You, you want to be spiritually alive. You want to know that you're impacting other people. You want to know that you count to those that are around you. That you're having an influence that's of God. Man, that's what Paul wants and, and that's what God wants for all of us. Quite frankly, that's his heart. That's that's what he wants. So, um, if you feel like you're in a spiritual coma, what do you do? What do you do? Someone has said that God's biggest job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Do you feel too comfortable? Well, number one, uh, talk to God about it. If that's how you feel, I mean, talk to Him every day about it. I mean, find some time where you're before God and say, God, I just feel dry. I feel, I feel dry and I feel empty. And, and God, I, w- I want to remember you. I, I, I want to feel your presence. I want to be alive. I want to be vibrant in the faith. And I mean, talk to Him about it. And don't do it just one time. I mean, do it day after day. And, and ask Him. Plead with Him. Say, God, help me. Wake me up. Secondly, as you were doing that, take a spiritual exam, a self-exam. Be honest. Why not be honest? God knows. Say, God, okay, you have the freedom to look at my life. Am I living for you? And show me, God, show me what areas of my life may not be pleasing to you. Are there habits, are there patterns in my life that are keeping me from being alive and vibrant in you? Show me what they are. Don't be afraid to do that. I mean, what good does it do to pretend like we're something we're not? You can't ever deal with an illness if you refuse to admit you have it. Third, receiving the Word. When God speaks to you, are you open enough to receive what He has to say? 
Are you hungry for Him? Do you have a real longing for Him? Do you really want to know Him? As Paul, when he, he spoke, I mean Paul, when Jesus spoke to one of those seven churches, He said, here's what i got against you guys. You have forgotten your first love. Remember how far you've fallen. Wake up, come back to your first love. And it's, guys, that's so critical here. These, these three things. He says, number one, he says, talk to God about it. Be honest before Him. Ask Him to reveal to you areas of your life that need to be cleaned up, that need to be changed, that, that need to be brought back in line. And then thirdly, make sure that you're receiving what He has to say and obeying Him and going His direction. That's repentance. And it's so critical. Alright, uh, second here, what does He aspire to? Uh, in verses 11 and 12, He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Man, isn't that the great practical advice? I mean, it's the kind of stuff you can almost see a parent speaking to their kid as they're prepared to head out into the world. If you do this, uh, you can't go wrong. Most scholars believe what was happening in the church is that you had some guys that heard Paul's message and they, they heard the idea of the fact that Jesus is coming back. And they sat around and said, well, you know what? If Jesus is coming back, why work? It's a waste of time. He says, man, he could come back any second, so uh, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to pull out my lounge chair and get me some iced tea and wait. Well, this began to cause all kinds of problems as, as people wouldn't work and, and then they still had to eat and then they began to sponge off of other people in the church. Caused disunity. Man, these guys became mooches and leeches and Cause some real problems among God's people. Matter of fact, uh, the word ambition here could be translated a restless eagerness to be restful. Make it your ambition to be fulfilled. You know, work. There's a contentment that comes from work as you're able to provide for your loved ones, as you're able to find a place to be useful, to contribute. And when you're not working, you miss that. Turn me over to 2 Thessalonians. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 that also addresses this issue. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And Wait, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong one here. I'm in chapter 1, verse 3 here. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. 
And this is the idea of a quiet life. He says you need to be resourceful. You don't need to make excuses and depend on other people to take care of you if you're capable and able to work. You need to do that. Because there you find provision for your loved ones. There you find purpose and you find meaning as God will work through your life and as you make a contribution to society. Guys, you need to be working. And you know, it's really sad today as there's a segment of our culture that do not understand that. And you know, you see some of these people out there, they hold up signs that said, we'll work for food. And then when you try to get them to work, you find out they should be holding a sign that says, we'll beg for food. Because they're not interested in working. I know recently here, um, some of the people in the church tried to help a couple and, and uh, did so. But then after a couple of days, it was offered to them to do some work. So they could earn a little bit of money and didn't show up. Didn't show up. What they don't understand is that's a prison and that's a trap. You see, work in and of itself is not the curse. People think work is the curse. If you look carefully in Genesis, work is not the curse. God gave the job of naming the animals. Work was beneficial. The curse was the pain that accompanies work. If you look afterward, as part of the curse, there will be thorns, there will be hard sweat. And there's a pain that's accompanied to hard work that's a result of the fall. Not the work itself. The work has a purpose. The work is beneficial. It's not the work that is the curse. And people don't understand that. And they try to spend all this time trying to get out of work. Man, if we could, if we could just somehow be able to capture the energy out of getting out of work, how much work could get done? Wouldn't it be awesome? It's like the old mountaineer who, uh, well, I don't know how to put it. He's just lazy. And they're sitting by the fireplace and his wife says, I think it's raining outside, Paul. He says, uh, why don't you go out and look? He sat and stared at the fire a moment and he said, Ma, he says, why don't you call in the dog and we'll see if he's wet. Just no energy, just doesn't want to go for it. How much innovation has come for people trying to get out of work? There's some way to channel that, somehow to corral all of that energy, but it's a trap. It's a trap to fall into other people taking care of you when God has given you the ability to be sufficient in Him. I'm going to read to you an interesting story. This happened in a remote area of the Smoky Mountains where there was a group of hogs, wild hogs that uh, got wilder and wilder and they sent out their best hunters in the area to try to catch these hogs. Nobody succeeded. Finally, this old man came up he had a cart that was full of lumber and grain. And he said, I'm going to catch those hogs. They didn't believe him. I mean, the best hunters had tried to catch the hogs and were unable to do so. They kind of laughed at him. Kind of said, yeah, this guy's a kook. Well, it took him a couple of months, but he came back and smiling. He said, I got those hogs and they're captured at the top of the mountain there. I go, you're kidding. He goes, nope. And they said, well, how'd you do it? Here's his words. He said, first thing I'd done was find the spots where the hogs came to eat. Then I baited me a trap by putting a little grain right in the middle of the clearing. Them hogs was scared off at first, but curiosity finally got them. And the old boar at led them started sniffing around. When he took the first bite, the others joined in. I knew right then I had them. <laughs> Next day I put some 
more grain out there and laid one plank a few feet away. That plank kind of spooked them for a while, but that free lunch had a powerful appeal. So it wasn't long before they were back eating. Them hogs didn't know it, but they was mine already. All I had to do was add a couple of boards each day by the grain they wanted until I had everything I needed for my trap. Then I dug a hole and put it up my first corner post. Every time I added something, they'd stay away a spell, but finally they'd come back to get something for nothing. (laughs) When the pen was built and the trapdoor was ready, the habit of getting what they wanted without working for it drove them right into the pen and I sprung the trap. It was real easy after I got them coming for the free lunch. The trap. God says, don't fall into that trap. Be a witness by working. Don't fall in the trap. I want you to notice what else happened uh, as a result of that trap. And Back in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, if you go in verse 11, when they stopped working, they actually became a problem among God's people in other ways. Verse 11 we read, We hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And it's for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. What happened? These guys didn't want to work. They didn't want to contribute. They didn't want to be a part. They wanted to be cared for. They began making demands, saying, I deserve this. And it says as a result of all that, they became busybodies. They began meddling in other people's lives. And it was a problem among the people of God. Spurgeon, the great preacher, told a parable, he said, of oxen pulling a wagon. And the wagon wheels started creaking and making a bunch of noise. And the oxen turned around and said, Would y'all quit your whining? He says, We're the ones who are doing the work. We're the ones that are pulling the load. And Spurgeon went on to say, Have you ever noticed that those who tend to whine the loudest and create the most noise and irritation are the ones that aren't doing anything? Are the ones who are not serving Let me just make a quick rule here right now. As far as I'm concerned, if you're not willing to serve, you don't have any right to speak. If you're not willing to put on an apron, you need to put on a muzzle. I'm just telling it like it is, according to the Word of God. Guys, you need to be active for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not going to be active for Him, keep your mouth shut, because if you open it, you're going to be a bad witness, not a good one. Anyway, this is the advice I believe that God was given there. Matter of fact, uh, Spurgeon closed that thing. He said, The gift of grumbling is largely dispensed among those who have no other talents or who keep what they have wrapped up in a napkin. Paul lived that example. Not only preach, he was a tent maker. Remember, he stayed with Aquila and Priscilla. And a couple of verses, Proverbs fourteen twenty three says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Ecclesiastes five twelve: The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no 
sleep. Proverbs 24, 33 and 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Now, uh, one last point here. His aim, his aim uh, in life. The aim of working for the Lord. Verse 12, he says, so that... of." Uh, First Thessalonians 4, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. The aim here, Paul says, uh, basically, is understand who your boss is. Now, I understand um, the, the different jobs here represented. You may not like your boss your boss may not like you, I don't know. But the point is, he's not, or she's not, the one you're working for. Uh, there's a story of a guy that uh, they were building uh, a new building, high-rise building, not just not far from where he lived. And So this guy, he liked to go out and watch the work. And he was really enjoyed watching this one guy run this heavy equipment. He was so diligent, and he watched him for a number of days and finally went up and talked to him, and he said, Man, I, I've really enjoyed watching you work. You're such a hard worker. And the guy looked at him, and he said, You mean you're not the supervisor? He's working hard because he thought the supervisor was watching him. Well, as I close this message, just be aware that the real supervisor is always watching us, guys. Paul said in the book of Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Working for the Lord, not for men. He's the one who really inspects our work. He's the one to whom we are really ultimately working for. And our work is a witness of how much we love Him. Have you ever thought of it that way? (laughs) As I close here, keep that in mind. The level of work you do is a witness to how much you love your Lord. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you for allowing us to take a little bit of time on this area of the blessing of hard work, how our work is a witness of how we care about you. Master, as we come before you, God, uh, what do you want to do in our hearts this morning? How do you want to move among us? Have your way, God. If we need to come to the altar and pray, if we need to come before the people of God to speak and share what you're doing. What is it you want, Master? We are open before you this morning and we ask that you have your way, that we would simply say yes to the moving of your Spirit, that we would not put you off, but that we would just cling to to you, Lord. Thank you for today that we've been able to worship you. And Father, the worship hasn't ended. Lord, may we continue to worship you in this time that we call response or invitation or movement of your spirit. Have your way, O Master. In your name we pray. Amen.